Are you familiar with Michelangelo's sculpture, the Pieta? There it is on the screen right there. It's the, this beautiful sculpture of Mary holding Jesus. The entire thing's made out of marble. You know, if I ever get to Rome, it's, uh, it's one sculpture I'd really like to see. It's incredible. It's been said that, um, that if you get there and you stand right up in front of it, that it looks as if Jesus is just kind of floating in the arms of his mother. It's also said that if you get there and you kind of go from angle to angle and you look around at Mary, that from one vantage point, from one angle, it looks as if Mary is very old. Israel, weeping for her Savior. From another angle, from another vantage point, it's said that Mary appears very young, the church receiving her Lord. And so it's one of those depictions that have just left many speechless. And how in the world Michelangelo got rocked to do that, I have no idea. But the story is told about the Pieta that uh, the first time it was unveiled, that a great crowd gathered around to see it. And the crowd was just mesmerized. And, and they were talking amongst each other, like, who could be the sculptor of this magnificent piece of art? And it was left unsigned, and they didn't know who it was. And then the crowd began to speculate, and they thought it was this other artist. And Michelangelo was in the crowd, and he heard all the murmuring, and he heard the speculation, and it made him really upset that they assumed that it was someone else who sculpted this. And so the next morning, Michelangelo, he got up early, and he goes to the statue, to the sculpture, and he signs his work. This was done by Michelangelo. You know, an artist always wants to share his work, doesn't he? I mean, that's the point of art, right? That others can come and enjoy it and take it in as well. An artist always says, come and see, check this out, this work that I've created so that perhaps you too can enjoy it. Have you ever found it fascinating that of all the ways that God could have chosen to introduce himself, that he has chosen to introduce himself as creator, as an artist? One of the first things an artist wants to do is to show you everything that he's been working on, because to know the art is to know the artist. So this morning, we're beginning a new series called Straight Talk. In it, we're going to examine some really big theological principles, some big theological questions, and we'll ask the question, how should we think about these things? And so this series, it really is a series about foundational thinking for a transformational church. And the first question that we're going to be diving into this morning is, how should we think about the world? And to examine really this question and really dive deep into it, we need to define terms, the term world specifically. What, what does the term world even mean? We know that John 3.16, it's a verse we probably all memorized, for God so loved the world. But then there's 1 John 2.15, which says, do not love the world or anything in the world. And you might be thinking, now how, how does God get away with that? How can God say that I've loved the world, but you don't love the world or anything in the world? How does God get away with that? And you might even be thinking, you know, and that's very dangerous for me, especially 1 John 2, because there are things in the world I love. I, there's people in the world I love. You know, I love sports. I mean, personally, I like the Yankees. I, 
I even love Disney World. I like going to their Disney World, and that's got world in the name. That's got to be really bad, right? There's different terms for world, okay? So when God says that he loved the world, what he's speaking of is humanity, and he's talking about humankind. When 1 John, when John writes in 1 John, that, hey, do not love the world, he's talking about the world value system, a, a, a worldview, a worldly worldview. And he said, don't have that kind of worldview. Don't love what the culture loves. Don't adopt the thinking of the world. Don't adopt the things that have been corrupted by the world. Don't love those things. Don't hang on to those things. And there's a third term for world. And that third term is what we're focusing in on this morning, and that is the universe. All the galaxies, the planets, the earth, all, all of creation. How should I think about the world? And to help us uh, kind of think through that question, we're going to look at the 104th Psalm. Psalm 104. One of the fascinating things about God is that he does introduce himself to us as an artist. And the rest of the story is about God inviting us to come and see who he is, what he's done, and how we can be a part of it, how we can know him, who he is, and what he's done, and what he continues to do, and how we can be a part of it. And so we have creation. Some theologians call creation the second book of God. Because as we walk through nature, from the smallest particles to the biggest stars, we see the art. And in seeing the art, we long to know the artist who created it all. So in the 104th Psalm, we get to see that art on display through the eyes of the psalmist David. And you can read it with me, or perhaps you'd rather just sit back, close your eyes, and just envision what David describes as I read it aloud. Psalm 104, we'll look at the first 24 verses. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes the messengers his winds. His ministers are a flaming fire. He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with the garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they may not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sit among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. 
In them the birds build their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness and it is night. When all the beasts of the forest creep about, the young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In his wisdom, you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Do you get the picture of how David just took it all in? Do you see the beauty of this poetry just begin to come alive? You know, part of our challenge this morning is to stop from the busyness of life, just to slow down just enough so that we can take the time to behold the beauty around us, so that we won't miss those moments when God calls us and he beckons us, hey, come over, pay attention, come and see what I've made. We need to have eyes like David to see all that God has put on display for us so that we can know the artist who created the art. So with these eyes, I want to examine this topic this morning. How should I think about the world? And as we peel back uh, the onion a little bit, I think you'd be amazed at how many doctrines of Scripture are informed from a correct understanding of the world. Doctrines such as the sanctity of life, which we just celebrated just a moment ago, a, a proper stewardship of the world. Even sin and death, all of these topics are related to a proper understanding of the world. And I know that as we talk about the world and God, how God created it, it's one of the most controversial doctrines out there that people raise questions about. A lot of conversation going on in our culture about the world, the stewardship of the earth and the age of our world, the physics of our world, and whether or not physics can prove or disprove God. I mean, there's been many books re written recently from atheists such as Richard Dawkins who uh, all address this topic and they say, hey, based on physics, now we can prove that God doesn't exist. And his, his friends, they all claim that, hey, science uh, proves that God doesn't exist. And in the past, that Christianity held back science. But now as there's been these advances, now we know. Well, first, Christianity hasn't held back science at all. Quite the contrary. In fact, if you go around and you look at all the modern sciences, you will find that in almost all the modern sciences, there is a creationist. There, there is someone who believes in a creator behind all of the sciences, and many of them Christians. Just to give you a couple examples, Kepler founded astronomy, Boyle founded chemistry, Newton founded physics, Kelvin thermodynamics, Mendel genetics, Ramsey isotopic chemistry, and that's just naming a few. I mean, there's a big long list of all the modern sciences, all founded by people who believed in a supernatural creator, an intelligent designer, many of them Christian, 
that this is how the world came into being. Christianity hasn't held back science. It's quite the contrary. Christianity has propelled science. Christians love science more than any other group of people on the planet because we believe that God has given us dominion over the earth that God has created. And because of that, we now have a responsibility to know and understand the earth that he has created. And so we launch into the sciences. We want to learn. We want to test the theories. We want to advance so that we can continue to be a better steward of what he has created. So we are not afraid of studying science or creation or anything like else like this. We embrace it. And what we always find is that science continues to back up the claims of scripture. It's never the contrary. And we're called to do this. And as we study and as we dive into it and as we look into it, like all of these other creationists who I just listed, and then like the beautiful poetry of David, we are left amazed at what God has made. I mean, it is fascinating. It is unbelievable. It blows your socks off. I don't know if you've ever taken the time. My dad has this big telescope. And once in a while, he'll get it out on his back porch and he'll aim it up at the stars And he loves just looking at the stars and the planets, and and you see them, and you you just look at the Milky Way galaxy that that we live in, and it is stunning. You see just, just a little tiny fraction of the enormity of God's creation. Job, he was having this conversation with God that you may remember from the book of Job, and Job's... He's talking to God, and God is trying to tell Job that, hey, Job, I'm in control. You can trust me. It's going to be okay. And as he's telling Job this, he's saying, hey, I'm a big God. And he said, Job, one of the questions that he asked Job is, Job, can you hold the constellations in your hand? And you can imagine Job just stepping outside and looking up at the big dark sky on a clear night and seeing all the stars up there and Job just looking at them and thinking, there's no way that I could begin to hold those in my hand. And yet the Bible says that God can hold the entire universe in the span of his hand. That for God, all of the galaxies, all of the planets, all of the stars, that everything, they fit in the span of his hand. This is the enormity of our God. And in the span of his hand, this is all the galaxies, this is the entire universe. We are just a speck. We would not be recognizable if you were to stretch it out and you could see it all. We, We wouldn't even be able to see it. See, if you could count the stars just in our galaxy, and you can put that picture back up of the Milky Way galaxy that we live in. If you were to go and you were just to begin to count all the stars in our galaxy, and if you could count one star per second, you would spend more than 2,500 years counting the stars just in our galaxy if you could count one per second without stopping. That's just the Milky Way. That's just the galaxy that we live in. God says, lift your eyes to the heavens. To whom will you compare me? As we think about the world, as we think about creation, we think about the enormity of our God. I mean, every time our instruments get better, we see that the universe is even bigger. We're constantly discovering new galaxies 
new planets, new stars that we never even knew existed. And God is constantly beckoning us, come and see this art that I have made. This beauty of creation that you get to be a part of. And in fact, you are the masterpiece of it all. This is creation. See, God in his mystery, in his wonder, he wants us to enjoy it. He wants us to steward it well. And when we discover it, as we search it, as we understand it, we understand what, who he is and what he's done for us, who he's placed us in, and then we understand a little more of who we are. So Romans 1 tells us that for anybody who's legitimately seeking God, any legitimate seeker out there, that creation alone is all the evidence that you need to know that there is a God. That if you will slow down from your busy life, that if you will just look around for a moment, that you will know that there is a creator, that there is an intelligent designer. But unfortunately, Romans 1 tells us that two things often happen. One is we just ignore creation altogether, that we just get so busy that we don't even pay attention, that we fail to study it at all. And the other is that sometimes people look at it and they notice it, and then they choose to worship creation rather than the creator. You know, I always get frustrated on TV or maybe when I'm out and about someplace and someone says that, hey, the study of the universe proves there is no God. That a long time ago, there was this big bang. Well, where did you get the bang from? You know, where, where did the two things come together that just kind of banged into each other? Where did they come from to collide into each other? And then just by chance, all of this happened with such specificity and such complexity. I mean, you would expect maybe something random if even you could have two things bang together. But the specificity and the complexity with which we see displayed is unbelievable. I mean, just think about this for a moment, okay? And I'm only listing a few here. But the air is made, the air we breathe is made of 21% oxygen. That's the perfect amount for humanity to survive. The gravitational force exists at just the precise right amount that is needed for life. The distance to the sun is just right. You get a little closer, you become Venus, a little further away, and you're Mars. The tilt of the earth is just right. The thickness of earth's crust is just right. The speed of light is just right. The strength of the nuclear force which holds together the atoms is just right. The distance between the stars is just right. The position of Jupiter to protect the earth is just right. And there is so much more. But if you adjust any one of those things even slightly then none of this would be. Then it would be impossible for humanity to exist, for life to exist. This is the specificity, and I'm only listing a few things. See, this world, this galaxy, the entire universe, it demands a creator. And there's so much more we can say about Creation. I mean, believe me, I got lost for a few hours this week just kind of studying and reading and just imagining the bigness and the enormity and the creativity and the goodness of our God. 
But I want to give you three words to kind of guide our thinking about this. What you really need to know, that if we really need to boil it down, what you really need to know about creation, at least as a foundational beginning point, is this. Three words. God, nothing, everything. Okay? God, nothing, everything. In the beginning, there was God. An infinite being does not need a cause. An infinite being does not need a first cause. He is the first cause. There's a beginning for you and me. There's a beginning for creation. There is no beginning for God. There was never a time he wasn't, and there will never be a time he won't. And at all times in between, he is always God. Every story starts with God. Creation starts with God. Your salvation, my salvation, it starts with God. Our story is not, I found Jesus. No, Jesus wasn't lost. Jesus found you. The sheep don't find the shepherd. The shepherd goes after the sheep. The creation story begins with God. All stories begin with God. And then there is this perfect love within the Godhead of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And out of this love comes an object, and that object is creation. From nothing, ex nihilo, God created creation. He made everything from nothing. And creation allows the created to know God and to be loved by God, and then to love God in return. Why is there something and not nothing? Because God said so. Because God wanted there to be a place where he could love and where his glory could be displayed perfectly. Because before God, there was never anything. There was simply nothing. God had nothing to work with. He didn't see something and say, hey, I will make this better. No, he had nothing. There was nothing. There was no dark. We think of nothing as dark. There is just nothing. There wasn't even that, just nothing. God, nothing. And God out of nothing makes everything. Everything explodes from him. Everything out there, every planet, every galaxy, every atom, and we think about the bigness of God, and then we look at the smallest, we talk about the atoms, and we used to think that this was the smallest thing you could find. And now recently, or somewhat recently anyway, they've discovered quarks. And it's kind of a cool little term, I don't know where they came up with it, but quarks, and that's even smaller than an atom. But in the bigness of God and in the smallness of God, we see that every atom, every quark, every planet, every star, no matter how big, no matter how small, they all have an artist. How in the world does the world and everything exist? Because God said so. God, nothing, everything. You get a telescope and you study the galaxies, or you get a microscope and you study the DNA of human life, and you can be brought to faith either way, because behind the art, there is an artist. God, nothing, everything. But what does all this mean for us? Because, you know, the questions that people are asking out there sometimes is, well, so you're a Christian. How old do you believe the earth is? Does science disprove God? Things like that. And then there's us. You know, we've got our lives. And I want you to imagine that the people asking these questions 
oftentimes, as we talk about the four, they're not even in chair one yet, right? They're kind of seeking, they're kind of wondering, and just what does all this mean? Is there even a God out there? What they need to know most is not the age of the earth. What they need to know most is not all the science and the creationists who have launched the modern sciences. What they need to know most, what they need most, is to connect with God. See, oftentimes objections come because people want to hold up some smoke screens. And people want to put out some stuff. And Let me see if I can just get you off topic here a little bit because the bigger question who is God and who is Jesus, that one can be uncomfortable and they don't really want you poking around their life. And sometimes we don't want people poking around our lives either. And there's a lot of us out there, right, who say, I'd rather just kind of keep it in, don't go digging too much into my life because there are things there that I really don't want anybody to know about. There's things there that I'd rather just kept hidden in some kind of dark closet and I could just ignore and pretend like that never happened. And I don't really want anyone to know that that ever happened. There there are things in life that we're embarrassed about, ashamed of, humiliated by. And we just don't want that stuff out there. There's, There's stuff we've said we wish we'd never said. There's stuff we've done that we never dreamt we'd do. There's things we've thought that we say, I can't even say, I can't even speak that out loud. And I don't want you digging because the thought of any of that coming out, of any of that mess being surfaced is terrifying. So let's just talk about some kind of theoretical thing. How old do you think the earth is? And see, that topic is a whole lot friendlier. But we're like that too. You know, we can be, we're a mess. The Bible says that after he created everything, that he said, hey, this was good. He made it, it was good. It's good, it's good. And God's definition of good is not like our definition of good. Okay, when he says it's good, it's perfect. There wasn't anything that God looked at and said, you know that, manatee out there, that's kind of an ugly sea cow. I think I can do better. No, he said, no, this is good. And he looked at it all and he said, this is good. And humanity comes in and God says, this is very good. That, God, that humanity living in God's perfect creation, this is good. But then through that first man, Adam, came sin, and death through sin. You see, if you don't believe in a literal Adam, how do you believe in a literal Jesus? Because Paul argues in Romans that, hey, just as sin came in the world through one man and therefore death through sin, so also by the righteousness of one man, Jesus Christ, came life. And if you don't believe in a literal Adam, why would you believe that Paul is being literal in Romans? You see, the doctrine of creation informs so many other doctrines of Scripture. It is the basis for which other doctrines are are built upon in many cases. But that level of theological reasoning is really for chair two Christians, people who are already believers, 
who need to grow in their faith and in their theological understanding of who God is and how he made it. But if they aren't even in chair one yet, what they need most is not to believe in a literal Adam. What they need most is to believe in the literal God. The truth of the matter is that they're not really looking for a science lesson. In fact, you didn't come here looking for a science lesson this morning. And after all I read, I feel like I could almost teach one. But the question is, what do you say about the world? And what do you say about the world to that person who's raising these questions and they don't even believe in God? That's what I want to think about just in the remaining time that we have. And, and I want you to think about your story for a moment. That if you and I were just to sit down and we were to get together and we were just to talk about our stories, maybe over coffee or over a meal or something, that we'd probably say the same thing. That when you boil it right down after looking at my decisions and my failures and my mistakes and my foolishness, that when you really get right down to it, I'm nothing. That that's where my story starts is I'm, I'm, I'm nothing. I, I bring nothing to the equation. It's funny, isn't it? It's where this story starts too. God and nothing. That the artist, this magnificent artist, he can take your brokenness, your nothingness, and he can make everything out of you. That he, 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 can, he can turn it all into everything. That he's, he has a purpose for you, a plan for you, that through you and of you and, and for you, you can see that God is good in how he deals with you. The artist, he gives you a life of energy and meaning and purpose and focus. You will know who you are in him. And then this amazing thing happens. All of your past mistakes that you didn't want anybody to ever bring up, all of that stuff that you wanted just hidden away in some dark closet somewhere that you didn't want anybody digging up, that you didn't want anybody asking questions about, all of that junk, all of that mess that was so embarrassing and so humiliating and so ugly. This magnificent artist does something with that. He takes dead rock, the worst moment of your life, and he makes it the first line of your testimony. He takes that moment, that, that one time that was so ugly and so despicable and so nasty and so vile, he takes it and he says, now I'm going to make it new. I'm going to use it in such a way that you can reach others with it. It can be now the first line of your testimony. He takes the ugliest stuff, the dead stuff, and he brings life out of it. God, nothing, everything. It's not just the story of creation. It's the story of my life and your life, isn't it? You'll hear that person and they'll, they'll come to you and and they'll bring it up, and they say, they'll say something like, aren't you the person who? And they'll bring up that thing that you wish was long forgotten. And you'll hear them, and you'll say, yes, that was me. 
And then you will tell them of the artist who took you when you were nothing and turned you into everything that you are now. And it's a life worth living. It's a good life. God, nothing, everything. It's not just the story of creation. It's the story of you and me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in our nothingness, that when we had nothing to offer, when we brought nothing to the table except for our sin and our shame and our fallenness and how we have stained your beautiful creation, that when this was all we had, that you, the magnificent creator, the wonderful artist, reached into our lives and turned us into everything we are now, a life of hope, a life of purpose, a life of meaning, a life of focus, that we're able to take that worst moment, the moment that we wished before that would always stay hidden, and God even use it sometimes as the first words out of our mouth. Because from dead rock, you make beautiful things. So God, help us to share the story of creation, the story of redemption with people this week. We ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ, whom we love. Amen.